The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Shares of Snapchat set to lose a quarter of their value at the opening bell after what it calls a challenging quarter. Weakness in Snap dragging down social media stocks and the entire tech sector right now which is set to snap a three-session winning streak if these pre-market losses hold. But one big tech investor says the pullback could be a buying opportunity. Now, outside of stocks, crypto is getting a bump, a bit of a bump, though, this morning, just a bit. And this week, we'll take a closer look at what's going on and the future for that cryptocurrency industry. Plus, Twitter results, they're on deck as investors looking for any kind of new hint about its $44 billion legal battle with Elon Musk. And then later on, talk about demand issues, the latest stock getting hit hard over softening consumer demand and surging prices. It's Friday, July 22nd, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Happy Friday. I'm Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Let's kick off your Friday with U.S. stock futures. Because you can see right now, we are going to start to see a little bit of wavering right now in the futures market. Right now, the Dow Jones is implied lower by a very modest 17 points. The S&P lower by about 12 and the Nasdaq down by roughly 77 points overall. With yields also now a big part of the story, given the market narrative and interest rates and inflation and everything else. We see the 10-year benchmark note yield falling just so slightly down to 2.82%. 2.82%. Meanwhile, the two-year note yield about 3.06%. So a trend has been there for at least a little bit move in those yields to the downside. In the oil market, we're also seeing some of those price movements here now below that $100 a barrel mark, especially for WTI crude. U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate, $96.63. It's up about a quarter per barrel, about 28 basis points or a quarter percent upside there. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, $104.26, a near half percent gain there. And then gasoline futures, $3.13 or thereabouts, down about two-thirds of 1% as well. By the way, that RBOB gasoline future is trading at its lowest level since April right now. Also, of course, natural gas going the other way, up more than 13% overall this week, and taking some stocks along with it. You So those natural gas prices down fractionally in this morning's trade. The global heat wave, for one, check out shares of big nat gas players like EQT, Entero, Chenier Energy. Those stocks just over the past week, EQT up 15 percent, Entero up 12 percent, Chenier Energy up about 11 percent. And again, just one week. Also, we mentioned crypto at the top of the show. We are seeing Bitcoin prices right now. You can see just to the upside by about 1 percent, 23,322 Ether prices, $1,634 here, 4.5% upside there. Many of the smaller altcoins and tokens moving along to the upside with it. So, again, remember, watch towards that 
25,000 mark. It's not there yet, but that's one of those key technical areas that some traders are looking at to see if there could be a possible breakout or resistance level. So we'll keep an eye on that. Let's get a check on the overnight action right now in Asia and the early trade in Europe. Our own Jumana Bersecci is standing by in London with the latest there. Good Friday morning, Jumana. Good morning, Dom. Well, you can see there's a lot of spotted green behind me for these European equities ending the week on a positive note. And remember, all of these markets are digesting that 50 basis point rate hike out of the ECB yesterday, the first rate hike in 11 years. It took the market a little bit by surprise because it had been only expecting around 35 basis points. So the reaction so far for equities has been mildly positive. Obviously, a lot of focus on Italy as well, given all of the Italian political turmoil that we've seen over the last week with Prime Minister Draghi resigning. We now know there's going to be snap elections on September the 15th. So that's something investors in the Italian market are watching very closely as well. But I just want to turn your attention to what's been going on in currencies and in yields this morning, because we've had some flash data out of the Eurozone Composite PMI showing that it's fallen to 49.4 in July, well below forecast. And it is actually the first contraction since the beginning of 2021. Now, the country-specific data doesn't get much better either. German manufacturing, services, composite, all came in below the key 50 mark. And you can see that the euro, which initially bounced after that 50 basis point hike yesterday, has actually started trading in negative territory, down seven-tenths of a percentage point. Also in European yields, we're seeing some major moves today. Big declines in the 10-year bund. You can see right now it's at 1.06%. Uh, we're down about at 10 basis points on the session. 10-year BTPs at 3.45 percentage points. At one point yesterday, we got to 3.65. So we've really come in quite a lot. And all of this is on back of quite disappointing European growth data at a time when the ECB has started hiking rates. All an interesting dynamic playing out right now in European markets. Of course, the narrative here in the U.S. is full of cross currents as well. Jumana Bersecci, thank you very much for the update. We'll see you soon. To this morning's top stock story and shares of Snap, the parent company of Snapchat, they're plummeting right now after reporting its slowest sales growth since going public, even worse than the slowdown it saw during the height of the virus pandemic. Contessa Brewer is here to break down those details. Contessa. Dom, good Friday to you. And Snap, the bearer of bad news with its earnings report. Shares of Snap are sinking in the pre-market, set to lose about 25% of the value at the open here. Oh, off uh, now almost 29%. The company missed second quarter top and bottom line estimates and told investors the past three months proved to be more challenging than it expected. I mean, that's an understatement. And then social media stocks like Snap typically trade on two major metrics, right? Active users and ad sales. While daily active users actually came in a bit above analyst estimates, as did current quarter user forecasts, it's ad sales that's really taking the stock down a peg this morning, with revenue growing just 13% year on year. It's the slowest in company history and even worse than the 17% sales growth it saw early in the pandemic. From the company, and here's a quote, demand growth on our advertising platform has slowed significantly. The combination of macroeconomic headwinds, platform policy changes, and increased competition have limited the growth of campaign budgets. In some cases, advertisers have lowered their bids per action to reflect their current willingness to pay. Well, aside from user metrics, Snap is not giving any other financial guidance for the current quarter. It says 
forward-looking visibility remains incredibly challenging and says it's clear our rate of revenue growth has slowed considerably and we must adapt our investment strategy. And that includes slowing hiring and capital investment. There again, you can see the trade in the early morning hours down 29%. And by the way, it's also dragging down the rest of the social media space. Look at Meta down 4.5%. You've got Twitter off 2.5%. Pinterest off 6.5%. And Alphabet as well down 2.5%. We'll have to see when Twitter announces earnings today, Dom, whether we see a similar reflection in advertising spend on the platform. All right. Companies like Meta Platforms and Alphabet, the parent company of Google, have a very large influence on the overall market and sentiment as well. So we'll keep an eye on those. Contessa, thank you very much. We'll see you later on. Back to the broader market stocks looking to cap what has been a solid week of gains, fueled in large part by earnings reports. Snap aside, barring this morning's move lower here, investors appear to be driving and diving back into beaten down growth and technology names. With the Nasdaq leading the major indices higher with its more than 5% climb just so far this week. For more on the action within the markets, let's bring in Mark Avalone, president of Potomac Wealth Advisors. Uh, Mark, uh, Jumana in London talked about kind of like the cross currents and trying to navigate the conflicting data and reports there. You just heard Contessa Brewer's report about Snap and some of the disappointment there and its carry through into other tech and social media stocks. And then we've got a week-long move in the Nasdaq, 5 to 6% higher. So what do you make of it? Well, what I make of it is we are not out of this bear market, and bad news is going to punish investors, and, and even in companies that aren't directly related. We, we're seeing that with, with Meta and Google being taken down with the Snap news. All we need now is some negative global macro news, and you'll see a more contagion. The, the market is way too tentative because there are legitimate risks out there. And whether we saw great reporting this week on the energy crisis, the potential energy crisis over in Europe when Brian was reporting there, that's a huge risk over in Europe. That could take down or affect the markets. We have potential COVID resurgence here. We see our president getting sick with COVID and we still haven't tamed the, the, the inflation risk. So there are reasons for investors to be skittish. If we look beyond those, we I think we see where investors are going to be hungry and they're bidding up growth stocks. And I think that's going to be the playbook out in Q4 when we have things calm down a bit. I think we resume to growth overcoming and leading the way in this market. You know, Mark, it's, it's interesting because you would think I, I understand the, the, the point you're trying to make. But but many of the traders and investors I talked to have talked about the disappointment, obviously, with the values that we've seen and the declines in the market. But the case has been made by many that this has been a very orderly decline. There hasn't been a lot of panic. There hasn't certainly been this capitulation that some people are calling for. And I'm looking down at my screen, the CBOE volatility index on the S&P 500, which measures kind of that fear in the market, is right around 23 which is like the long-term average for the markets overall. So how skittish is this market? That's a great data point, and I'm glad you raised it, because in this bear market that we're in, check, check the tape. Every time the VIX approaches 21, 22, 23, there's the sell-off. It's, it, it's been an inverse indicator. And when the VIX climbs back up into the high 20s, that's where investors have jumped in for these bear market rallies. These are bear market rallies. 
the the enthusiasm we've had the past five or six weeks, it's been great for investors. There's no doubt about it. But a lot of us don't think it's long lived. We think there's another hiccup down. That's what the tape has shown. And until we know that we're no longer in a bear market, until we have more visibility on inflation, more clarity from the Fed, I think what we had last week and the week before was a bear market rally. And I think that's what I'm talking about when I say investors will be a bit skittish through the summer. It's the lack of visibility. All right. Sounds like caution is the word of the day here for Mark Avalone at Potomac Wealth. Thank you very much, sir. Have a nice weekend. Good to be here. When we come back on the show, much more on Snap's second quarter breakdown and what it means for the rest of the struggling social media space. Plus, checking the chatter at two major crypto conferences in France. What some of the biggest players in the space are saying about the crypto winter and if the worst is over. And then later on, no dream house here. Trouble at one of the world's biggest toy makers. That's the mystery chart right there. A a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. As you're seeing there on the screen, we're watching the price action in cryptocurrencies right now. Despite some of the recent weakness over the medium and longer term, Ethereum staging a very strong comeback this week, outperforming Bitcoin, which is still struggling to stay above that 20,000 mark. Joining me now from Paris, France, and fresh from two back-to-back major crypto conferences is CNBC tech reporter Mackenzie Sagalos. So, Mac, I guess maybe the, the, the bigger question, I guess, from a macro perspective is what is the feeling at these conferences? We had 30,000 for Bitcoin. It held for a while. We cracked. And now we're trying to hold 20,000 if it cracks. What are people saying? Are they talking about the charts? Do they think the worst is over? Right. So here in Paris, the overwhelming enthusiasm for the lack of liquidity in the crypto market right now is remarkable. Developers tell me that they're actually relieved that bankruptcies are cleaning out the system and exposing vulnerabilities. A bear market is typically when you wash out those players who are looking to make easy money and it leaves behind the people who are really trying to create real utility. We also heard from Ethereum's founder, Vitalik Buterin, who pushed a groundbreaking upgrade coming to the blockchain in September after years of delays. Ether is up more than 32 percent since they locked in a date for the so-called merge. And once it takes effect, Vitalik said yesterday it will make the network much faster, processing 100,000 transactions per second. It'll be more scalable and energy efficient. There will be lower gas fees. 
He also made the point that we are headed for a period of rapid change for Ethereum, including updates to its monetary policy and its token issuance. So there's a lot at play here. Okay, so Mac, we've seen one crypto firm after the other. They're like dominoes falling in succession over, say, the last several weeks here. Is there any kind of feeling? Are are crypto enthusiasts and, and the diehards worried about this contagion effect? If you're a true believer, you've mentioned the washout. Does it maybe trigger at least something among some of those diehards about the future of the space at all? There's really not at all. So this conference attracts the world's top developers and cryptographers, and they want to talk shop. What's happening with sharding, roll-ups, and zero-knowledge proofs, all of which may sound like esoteric buzzwords, but they are key to enabling mainstream adoption. Another topic that keeps coming up is this narrative of a contagion effect and how it's somewhat overblown, because the firms that are failing right now are mostly in the centralized finance space, so not DeFi. Think arbitrary annual returns, 20% APY, and no collateral to back anything up. And then you have your DeFi platforms like Aave and Compound, which are over-collateralized because they aren't asking you for your identity or your credit score. Also, their annual return rate varies based upon market forces, so it's real yield that we're talking about, Dom. Okay, so so what's the after-hours scene like in Paris in Paris? <laughs> Once once all the stuff wraps up, because, I mean, I kind of see the, the, the images on Instagram for what happens in places like Miami during crypto conferences and in the Bahamas. What's the uh, what's the activity? Right. So the crypto community here has been bouncing from ECC, which is the flagship conference of the week, to the dozens of ancillary blockchain events happening all around the city. But people are definitely going very late into the night, 4 and 5 a.m. finishes. Uh, Earlier this week, some conference goers snuck into the catacombs, which is 65 feet underground. It holds the skeletal remains of around 6 million Parisians. There was a dance party at the Moulin Rouge one evening. And then last night, everyone who could snag a ticket went to Rave's blowout party. So it's been full on dumb. A party for sure. Now, now. I assume that people dress for these occasions. So, Mac, I, I don't want to be, uh, this is too much stereotypical, but it would be awesome if you could find a beret at some point and maybe use that for the next hit coming up. <laughs> to complete the outfit, That's right? That's exactly. The stripes are awesome. I love it. So, anyway, Mackenzie Sagalos, thank you very much for bringing us the update on crypto in France. Still on deck for the show, this morning's Big Money Movers and why retail holders may have a new reason to get excited. Very excited. We're back after this. Today's big number, 28%. That's the share of income mortgage payments will make up for an average first-time home buyer, according to a report by S&P Global Ratings. That's the highest level since the first quarter of 2007. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business welcome to connie's coffee how may i help you aarp's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds that's why the younger you are the more you need aarp start planning today at aarp.org money tools 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. Shares of Mattel are falling despite top and bottom line beats for its most recent quarter. The toy maker says sales took a hit from currency headwinds. We've heard that before as the dollar continues to surge in value. Now, despite the beat, overall, the company is reiterating its current quarter forecast. But on balance, those shares off about two and a half percent. A bigger pre-market drop for shares of Seagate Technologies, a weak demand story similar to what we saw in Micron last month. Seagate wrapping up its fiscal year with a big earnings per share miss, $1.59 adjusted versus $1.90 for analyst estimates. Also a solid revenue miss thanks to impacts from COVID-related shutdowns in Asia, weakening global economic conditions and so on and so forth. Seagate says consumer demand fell more than anticipated, and it plans to reduce production plans to meet those supply levels. No guidance from management as well there. So what you're seeing is an 11 percent drop overall. And let's show you what's happening right now with GameStop. Four for one stock split goes into effect today. So anyone who is a shareholder of record at the close of business on Monday is getting three additional shares in the form of a dividend. At the opening bell, the stock begins trading on that split adjusted basis. The stock closed at 153 bucks a share yesterday. It will begin trading right around kind of $38, $39 or so this morning, given that split and dividend dynamics. So keep an eye on those GameStop shares. Let's now get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. Good Friday morning, Philip. Good Friday morning to you, Dom. We begin with the new revelations from the January 6th committee. Last night's primetime hearing, which we learned will be the last until they resume in September, included live and taped testimony from Trump White House officials who described countless efforts to get the former president to condemn the violence and tell his supporters to go home. New evidence was also revealed that included outtakes from a January 7th speech showing the former president refusing to say the election was over. Most of the hearing focused on what Mr. Trump did not do as rioters descended onto the Capitol. One key witness, former Deputy White House Press Secretary Sarah Matthews, testified that Mr. Trump could have been on camera almost instantaneously if he wanted to address the people. In a statement overnight, former President Trump said he didn't know Matthews and accused her of lying. A Republican candidate running for New York governor was attacked during a campaign rally. Lee Zeldin was campaigning on stage in Fairport, New York, when a man approached him with a pointed object and said, you are done. Take a look. There's only one option. No. You're done. You're done. You're done. You're done. You're done. Whoa. 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 Zeldin pushed the suspect away while several men held him down. He appeared to be wearing brass knuckles with pointed tips. Authorities have identified him as 43-year-old David Jacobonis. He has been charged with second-degree assault. 
Sports legend Bo Jackson says he felt compelled to help the families of the shooting victims in Uvalde, Texas. Jackson said he was one of the previously anonymous donors who helped pay for the funerals of those killed at Robb Elementary School. Jackson told the Associated Press that he and a close friend flew to Uvalde after the shooting and donated $170,000 for funeral expenses. He said that it's just not right for parents to bury their kids. And if you're feeling lucky on this Friday, you might want to buy a ticket for the next Mega Millions drawing. The jackpot has soared to $660 million after nobody reported a winning ticket on Tuesday. Tonight's drawing at 11 p.m. Eastern also offers a nearly $400 million cash option. And if somebody wins, it would be the third largest prize in Mega Millions history. Dom, back to you. Philip, would you come back to work if you won it? Uh, that's a great question. I probably would. And I would, well, I get things in order and then I would probably d- bounce. So if you don't see me mysteriously gone uh, next month or so, then, then you know. Bosses, I'm just telling you right now, if I won Mega Millions, I would still come to work. Phil Amena, thank you very much, there sir. Have go. a nice weekend. As we head to break, a quick programming note. Tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, a CNBC special, Politics and Profit. CNBC explores the issues at the intersection of money and government from inflation and the Fed to the debate over funding for semiconductors and climate change to the ways the midterms could impact your economy and the portfolios that you have. We've got a great lineup, including Council of Economic Advisors Chair Cecilia Rouse, also business leaders in industries like solar and electric vehicles, oil, computer chips, and more. All of that's at 6 p.m. Eastern Time tonight. Politics and Profit. Tune in. We're back after this. Stocks under pressure to end the week as technology takes a turn for the worse. It's all about snap this morning as the stock sinks ahead of the opening bell. Contagion fears across the social media landscape are now front and center. Plus, why the crash in cryptocurrencies seems to have no impact on one thing. Criminals' interest in stealing NFTs. It's Friday, July 22nd, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan this morning. It's right around 5.31 a.m. Eastern Time. And right now, futures are indicating a lower open, albeit just modestly. The Dow is implied lower by just about 17 points. The S&P 500 down by about 12 and 69-point declines for the Nasdaq if these futures losses and moves hold into the opening bell for regular cash equities trading. Let's take a look at some of the top corporate stories this morning. Contessa Brewer is here with those. Contessa. Hello, Dominic. A deal to resume Ukraine's Black Sea grain exports is set to be signed today. The Russian invasion of Ukraine has stalled exports from Kyiv with dozens of ships stranded and 20 million tons of grain stuck at the Odessa port. Representatives from Ukraine, Russia, Turkey and the United Nations will sign the agreement to restart the exports. Wheat futures trading lower on news of that deal, as you can see, down almost 3 percent. And corn futures are near an eight-month low. One of Elon Musk's top lieutenants at Tesla reportedly is under scrutiny in an internal investigation. Omid Afshar runs Tesla's factory in Texas, and there are questions about his role in a plan to purchase hard-to-get construction materials. Tesla has already fired other workers 
related to the probe. We will stay on top of the investigation and what we learn from it. Amazon's drone delivery program is reportedly behind schedule. Federal regulatory requirements call for the company to complete 7,000 flights this year as part of durability and reliability testing. But regulators reportedly have not yet counted a single flight toward that goal. Normally, Dom, I would say if you snooze, you lose. But in this case, you know, what's the competition, really? <laughs> you don't want to get it done in time? Who, uh, who's going to challenge you? This is, these are all excellent points, I think. Contessa, I'm going to leave it right there. Thank you very much for that. Time now for your big money movers and a potential investor dilemma for social media stocks as snap shares slide. Contessa told us last hour is down about 29%. It's still down roughly 29% in the pre-market. This is all following worse-than-expected second-quarter results. The company reporting its weakest-ever sales growth as a public company, citing unprecedented macroeconomic headwinds. It also plans to substantially slow hiring. We've heard that before from tech companies. It did not issue any financial forecast for the current quarter. Snap is taking down the rest of the social media space and communication services and certain tech stocks along with it. As you can see there, they're, mo- they're all lower. Meta platforms, Pinterest, Alphabet in the pre-market trade. Joining me now to discuss all of this, Nancy Tangler, CEO and CIO of Laffer Tangler Investments. Also, Alex Kantrowitz, founder of Big Technology and also a CNBC contributor. Thank you both for joining us here. Maybe, Nancy, we'll start with you here from the investor perspective Are you at all worried, given what you're seeing with Snap and what they reported last night? Good morning, Dom. Uh, Listen, I think this company is a third-tier player in a decelerating uh, advertising market tied very closely to slowing economic growth. This is a company that had already had uh, estimates reduced for this quarter, and then they missed those all the while trading at a multiple above 130 times next year's earnings. So I think this is, I mean, I've, I've said this consistently that uh, the, the company's competition from TikTok, obviously from Meta and from Google, um, makes puts it in a precarious position, particularly in a declining uh, economic scenario. So I think this might, as it plays across the whole group, it might be an opportunity for investors to take a look at the industry leader, which is Google. Industry leader, which is Google, Alphabet. Alex, I I mean, from a tech perspective, this is a company that's already lost three quarters of its value just in 2022 alone. What exactly were the expectations for Snap going into this print? Well, it just goes to show you how difficult this company and companies like it um, are are having a difficult time that these companies are having. Um, The thing that really struck me with Snap, it grew users, but its revenue growth decelerated. I mean, that means something is completely broken with the business. If you're growing your base of users, but you're unable to make more money off of them, something's wrong. And I think some of the things that you mentioned, you look at Apple's uh, uh, anti-tracking changes. You look at the change in um, foreign exchange rates where the dollar is stronger. And you look at a larger advertising pullback. Um, You obviously, you limit expectations, but when you can't even meet those, you're growing users. It's a real big problem for Snapchat. And I think it could indicate bigger problems for companies across the economy right now. So if it could indicate bigger problems, Alex, I'd like to kind of stay on that point. What exactly do you think those problems are for a social media platform that at one point was supposed to overtake companies like Instagram and everything else. They were the originals, right? They were the OGs in this space. It was meta platforms who copied a lot of those things from Snap and Snapchat. What's going on? Why can't they get out of their own way? 
Well, it, it's partially Snap, right? Um, they haven't told a story that's trying to that can get direct response advertisers into their platform in a way that they need to grow. Um, but you look at all the forces pushing against Snap, and I would say they probably apply to Meta and other companies as well. And again, you're looking at inflation. You're looking at um, TikTok, which is a big deal. Um, you're looking at the Apple anti-tracking changes, and you're looking at foreign exchange rates. Um, and you start to see that you know, no matter how strong this business is, you know, it's really struggling to overcome all those combined. And that's when I see, you know, the um, the beat on on users. So you're growing stronger, um, but you still can't get the revenue into shape. And that, to me, points to fundamental issues with the business. Um, and I, I think that Snap would basically need a miracle to overcome all these forces that are coming up against it. And it just didn't have it this quarter. And it doesn't look like it's going to have it anytime soon either with the fact that it's not even guiding for, for next quarter. That's a major issue. So, Nancy, uh, you mentioned before, I mean, you, you invest client money for a living. You, you mentioned that you don't like Snap as much and that you think Alphabet is the better play with regard to this kind of online advertising industry overall. Does it worry you from a macro perspective that this could indicate a broader slowdown on that revenue picture for all of these companies because Snap is just going to be kind of like that initial indicator? And if so, how do you invest in it? Do you find spots? Is it attractive now? Do you wait for it to go lower or do you think you've missed out if you don't buy in now? Well, so I think you don't want to own Snap under any conditions. Think back to when video uh, tapes came out. Betamax was the cool technology, the better technology, but they lost out in the long run because they, they weren't able to, as, Cal, as Alex points out, to convert new users in this case to revenues. So I think, well, I know that in a decelerating uh, macroeconomic environment, you want to own the reliable growers and the the, the behemoth in this industry is Google. So if you're if you want exposure to the space, you, you need to play it in this environment through the through the highest quality companies that can sustain and acquire their competitors or, um, you know, bury them with spending. So I, I don't think I've never liked Snap. It's down over 40 percent since the uh, IPO. That's dead money for a long time. So I think you want to refocus your direction. If Google continues to sell off on this news, I think that's an interesting way to be uh, participating in communication services. But we are underweight communication services. We actually added recently to Spotify uh, because that's a more reliable earnings grower in that space. But we're, we're placing our tech bets in the cloud, in cyber, and even in semis still. So I don't, I don't think you want to bottom fish this one because I think it's, it's terminally cheap stock and the management's got some significant challenges. Interesting that you're the second guest this week on this show that's mentioned Spotify as one of their top picks for technology and whatnot. Uh, Nancy, Alex, please stay right there. Uh, don't go anywhere because I, I want to bring in another topic to the, to the discussion here. And what you're seeing on the screen is Twitter, of course, because it reports second quarter results before the opening this morning. The company's legal battle with Elon Musk is probably the biggest topic of discussion here. I mean, we can talk about fundamentals, right, about earnings per share and revenues. But does any of that matter? So maybe, Alex, you'll set the scene for us here. My question is, do people care about the fundamentals if it's just basically Musk versus Twitter in Delaware Chancery Court? And what's going to happen with this whole takeover? 
I think you have to care about the fundamentals. And the market is certainly indicating it's right around 39 per share, way lower than the 54 per share that Musk has offered. So the market is indicating that it expects a settlement here, not a go private via a Musk takeover. If that's the case, you know, these fundamentals matter a lot more than you would imagine even a few months ago when it seemed certain that Elon was going to acquire this company. So if that's OK, I, I get it, because let's let's face it, the, 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 the real issue for Elon Musk is about the fundamentals, right, about whether or not there's users that are uh, that, that can be actually verifiable or, or how many are spam bots or anything else. Uh, Nancy, I, I kind of maybe understand what you're going to say here. I don't know it because I haven't heard your answer, but you've mentioned all these other things that you wouldn't do. Twitter's probably not going to be one of your investments, right? No, here again, I actually think that the fundamentals are being obscured by um, Elon. So I, I just disagree slightly with Alex. But uh, this this is a company where you, there's too many moving parts and, and all the narrative is going to be dominated by what happens um, in, in the courtroom. So I think there's just better places to be, Dom. And, and we owned Twitter uh, years ago. You know, we made some money on it. It wasn't um, a stellar performer for us. But I, I don't like the, the decelerating nature of con- uh, just the whole social media space in general. And because you've had such a, a route in technology stocks uh, this year, I think there are just much better places to be. I was investing money in the 90s. I remember sitting in a conference in Los Angeles where they had, you know, I heard the uh, the infamous eyeball comments, you know, well, this company gets more eyeballs per day than this company. And at some point you have to make money and it has to be sustainable when you're in an economic environment like we're in right now. Those are the days of MySpace. I remember those days as well. Nancy Tangler, thank you very much. Alex Kantowitz, thank you as well. Have a nice weekend, guys. Coming up on the show, how hackers are using new mediums to pull off old scams to steal new products like NFTs. A crime spree that shows no signs of slowing down. We've got a CNBC exclusive report when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We've got a bonus big money mover for you. What you're seeing on your screen right there, shares of Boston Beer Company falling off the wagon, so to speak, after a solid earnings miss and a huge slash in full year earnings per share guidance to $6.11 from $11.16. The volume guidance is being cut too. biggest headwind for Sam. That's the ticker. Sam Adams. Get it. A greater than expected drop in demand for its hard seltzer. Truly. That's what they make there. So watch those Sam Adams shares down about 9, 10% in the pre-market trade. The crash in cryptocurrency seems to have no impact, though, on one thing. Criminals' interest in stealing non-fungible tokens, those so-called NFTs. Eamon Javers is here with some new data on these NFT digital artwork heists. Good morning, Eamon. Hey, good morning, Dom. You can call it a crypto crime spree. The new data comes from the analysis firm TRM Labs, and it shows that criminals have stolen as much as $22 million in NFTs using the Discord social media platform just since May of this year. Now, just on June 4th, they found there were at least 10 account compromises targeting NFT Discord channels. They may be hitting new targets with names like Secret Llama, Dummies, and Young Ape Club, but the hackers here are using tried-and-true methods to dupe their victims. TRM Labs says they're using social engineering techniques, sending imposter messages, promoting a false sense of urgency, and hoping to capitalize on the victim's FOMO, that fear of missing out on the next big thing. Now, Chris Janczewski is a former IRS criminal investigator. He's now with TRM Labs. These are all techniques that we've seen before and other types of schemes. 
It's just now they've pivoted to a new arena and you know it's easier to potentially steal one NFT that could be worth tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars than to steal many different types of tokens. And Dom, if you think about it, it makes sense that the hackers aren't really put off by the crash that we've seen in NFT prices over the past several months. Since they're not buying the tokens in the first place, what they care about is whether they can sell them for any value at all. Now, Jen Chesky says the best way to protect yourself in the NFT land are the same best ways to protect yourself everywhere else online. So know who you're talking to. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. And be careful when you click on any links, Dom. So, so, so Eamon, okay. First of all, the NFT thing is interesting to me right now, because if these criminals are still engaged in it in in a more robust way, it maybe could imply, some would argue, that there's a future for these things or that these things have intrinsic value in some way, shape or form. So talk to us a little bit about maybe what some of these platforms are doing to help in that effort, right? Because we've seen crypto prices fluctuate. We've seen NFT prices drop tremendously. Yeah. from their highs. So OpenSea, these other platforms, what can they actually do to kind of make the ecosystem more attractive? Well, a lot of it is about educating the consumer, right, and sending the same warnings uh, that you see in other areas of online life, right, which is that there are people on this platform who are trying to steal your stuff. So just be alert, be aware. So a a lot of it is just a basic level of education. But you're absolutely right, Don. The the raw logic of it suggests that the criminals see some value here, right? I mean, they're not going to steal something they think that they can't sell. Uh, They're stealing these and selling them pretty quickly, right? So they're not holding them uh, and riding the value down if if it's collapsing. They're stealing them. Uh, reselling them pretty quickly into the into the market, getting whatever they can get. And again, they don't care what the price is because they didn't pay for it in the first place, right? If you're stealing it, your cost of acquisition is like basically zero. So as long as you can sell it for something, there's still some value there. I'm not sure like that's a really good indication of the health of the overall NFT market, though. All right, Eamon Javers with that exclusive report. By the way, you can check out more of that report on CNBC.com right now. Eamon Javers, thank you. On deck for the show, a snapshot of the material sector. And why not all stocks are marching to the same tune in that sector, sectornomics, this month, materials. But first, if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, you can check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. We're all on all those positive platforms here, the big ones, Worldwide Exchange audio format. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. As you can see by that graphic there, it is now time for this month's sectornomics segment with a deeper dive on the material sector, one of the smaller sectors in the S&P. Now, so far this year, that sector is tracking roughly in line, a market performer, if you will, with the S&P 500. But there is quite a bit of variation in terms of which constituents are holding up well and which are not. And that's due in part to the sector's outsized exposure to the commodities market, which has been, of course, especially volatile this year. Let's start with the worst performers, all down roughly 30 percent this year. It's a mix of different industries. You've got specialty chemical names like Selenese, also Ecolab and cleaning products. Mining giant Freeport McMoran, copper and gold, right? One of the biggest laggers there as well, particularly in the last month or so, as we've seen that kind of broader pullback in metals like copper, which is off by about 20 percent in just a month. Now turning to this sector's biggest gainers, all of which are involved pretty much with agriculture in some way, shape or form. Fertilizer companies, Mosaic and CF Industries take the top spots up around 20 percent or so on that basis in 2022. And then there's agricultural chemical and sea giant Corteva, which is up over 10 percent. Now, fertilizer prices, of course, skyrocketed earlier in the year 
due in part to that Russian invasion of Ukraine. It's worth noting that as fertilizer prices have cooled off a bit in recent weeks, though, some of those ag-related names have cooled off as well. All three of them are in negative territory just in the past month. So while that commodities trade has certainly impacted much of the market this year, it's one of particular importance for sectors like materials. Again, one of the smaller sectors, but certainly one that's seen a bit of a roller coaster ride this year. So let's continue that conversation about investing and bring in Tiffany McGee, Pivotal Advisor, CEO. She's also a CNBC contributor. Uh, Tiffany, maybe we'll just jump off with materials because it has been such a crazy place to be given the inflation story in America. Do you feel as though some of these inflation hedge stocks are still the place you want to be? Well, I think that the, the key, Don, is really kind of diversifying your portfolio, right? And so when you kind of think back to like 2020 and 2021, everybody was in those high growth names. And so things got really real uh, going into 2022, and they've stayed that way. And so, you know, we've been thinking about stocks all this year. Um, you know, first it was like, okay, there's some names down. Let's buy the names that we like and look for some good opportunities. And so then we kind of moved into uh, let's really think about what we can, you know, how we need to be positioning portfolio. And so for us at Pivotal, it's about income uh, and it's about really kind of diversifying your portfolio. And we're long-term investors. And so, you know, we're looking at names like, you know, uh, we've got a, a big tech week next week. You know, Amazon's reporting. Alphabet is reporting and really looking at what do we do with those names that, you know, most people own. Um, and but in, a, in a time like this where things are still volatile, what are we going to do with those names? So what are you going to do? We're looking at a board right now that's showing big, big, big earnings reports coming up next week, including Amazon and Apple. Speaking of the technology trade over there, they're coming up on Thursday. Intel's there as well. I mean, this is one of those situations where Microsoft Alphabet, the biggest names in the market are all reporting earnings next week. So what do you buy? Yeah. So I think, first of all, you know, thinking about big tech from, from, from a position of, you know, what do you have the most conviction around? And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, Google's reporting next week, Alphabet and also Amazon. And so looking at these things, you know, first of all, when I'm when we're looking at um, when I'm listening to the earnings call next week, I'll be looking for in terms of uh, um, Google. I've been I'll be looking for like total revenue. Um, Growth probably between like 14 and 15 percent, and consensus on the street is about like 16 percent. I'm looking for search to be up, of course, right? But around 12 to 13 percent is right in line with what we're looking for. Um, and also thinking about you know what what their margins are looking are, are looking like. Uh, they hired about like um, they hired several thousand employees last quarter, so we're going to be looking to see if those that puts pressure on their margins. Amazon. I think a lot of people are thinking about, you know, um, they're kind of waiting to see if there's like a better entry point for Amazon. I'm kind of want to transport people back to 2020 when Amazon stock was so expensive and everybody was talking about how overvalued it was. And yes, since then we've had a stock split, but Amazon's about 30%, 30, 31% on sale right now. And so I really can't picture a world in which we don't have Amazon, fingers crossed. Um, and so, you know, I'm really going to be looking at you know, uh, any kind of developments, you know, what any kind of challenges they might be having. Um, definitely revenue. I'm looking about revenue up about 118 to 119 billion. Um, but, you know, I, I really th think that that's an opportunity here. You have to think about whether you want to own these names long term. And I'm a long term investor. Our clients are foundations and endowments. We're holding these stocks for a long time. So it's an opportunity, if you like them, to buy more because I think that they're still on sale, um, but then also to hold. All right. So so we've just got a few moments left here. What's your least favorite part of the market right now? <laughs> oh, 
Oh gosh, like you hit me with like the the, the craziest thing. Actually, I don't have the least favorite part part of the market. Um, it, if I had to say anything, I would say bonds because they're really not doing what what I need them to do in a portfolio. I need certain things to zig while others zag, and bonds have not been delivering. All right, the bond picture not very favorable for Tiffany McGee right now. Thank you very much for the thoughts. We appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Don. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. The markets right now are indicating modest losses at the opening bell. Remember, big gains yesterday. We'll see what happens in Squawk Box, which comes up next. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll see you on Monday. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.